strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I just want to let the music play. Um, thanks for being here this morning. We've got a lot to cover. We've got some news about the economy. I want you to hear this kind of an update is the Bureau of Labor Statistics has just put out new job numbers. And uh, this is what I had been kind of concerned about. I think many people are concerned about. So I want you to hear a little bit. This is an ABC News report. Elizabeth Schultz speaking about the new uh, statistics. In a sign the labor market might be cooling, the number of job openings in the economy at the end of August dropped by 10 percent. The data released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics could indicate businesses are growing slightly more cautious amid recession fears. But the underlying jobs market remains strong, with layoffs near historically low levels and the number of workers quitting their jobs for new opportunities still high. So there's a mixed bag there. It's talking about slowing. That's the concern. I'm looking at the statistics right now. There has been a 1.1 million job decrease and 6.2 decrease in, in percentage of jobs, respectively. The largest decrease in job openings were in healthcare, social assistance, other services, and the retail trade lost 143,000 job openings. Um, now, normally the retail industry wouldn't be that big of a deal, except we are moving into the holiday season. You would think this would be when they would be ramping up, kind of like here where we see an increase in the service industry when what we call tourist season, which is between Thanksgiving and Easter, to see a drop in jobs is concerning. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not sounding alarms. The Dow is still up over 600 points today. It's up over 30,000 again. A few days ago, it was under 29,000. So we've seen a bit of a recovery in the last couple of days, and I truly hope that that's the trend that we're going for. 60% of American families right now say they're living paycheck to paycheck. That is a scary number. Every one of us understands, maybe intellectually, if it, practically, if you haven't been through it. I look back on, and I, you know, I was in a self-induced situation. I was a single guy living like a single guy, and I didn't have a care in the world. And I was one disaster away from homelessness. And I look back on that time in my life, and I think, man, what an idiot you were. Well, I still am, but specifically in this area, what an idiot I was in how I did not prepare myself in case something happened. But when you have families that are living paycheck to paycheck, and this is a scary thing, and parents know it's true, uh, single parents especially know this is true. When you are a flat tire away from spiraling financially so out of control, you might lose your home. And what I mean by that is this. You're driving home from work one day and you get a flat tire. You don't have a spare. You can't afford a tow truck. You can't afford a new tire. Your car is sitting on the side of the road. You know that Highway Patrol is going to come by and put one of them big orange stickers on your window. And if you don't move it, you're going to get towed. You're going to then be on the hook for the tow. You'll be on the hook for all of the storage fees until you can get it out. And you don't have money for a tire. You don't think that's reality for many people. You weren't raised by a single mom. I meant. I mean, and I'm not. I don't tell these stories for anything other than a picture. I wouldn't trade my childhood for the world for where I ended up. I would not be who I am if it wasn't where I came from. But I know my mom owned a. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but it was over ten years old when she bought it. So it was a seventy something model powder blue Gremlin hatchback. Yep, it was a. It was. Uh, it was something. 
It had bucket seats, and the seat on the driver's side was broken where the hinge had broken off. So we had a glass bottle wedged between the hinge and the frame of the car. And if the bottle popped out, which it did on occasion, the seat would literally fall back into the back seat of the car while you were driving. She never had four tires that matched. Never had all four tires match at any time. If you ever gone out and bought used tires, there are many people that still have to do that. You don't you you don't can't even afford a new set of tires. You're going to find the least used used tire you can find. That's the reality for some American families. And when this happens, when we have a downturn in, in our economy or inflation goes up like this, more and more families find themselves in that position where when you look at each other, if you're married and you're, you're living together and you look at each other and you have to acknowledge we are one disaster away from losing everything. That'll keep you up at night. That will keep you up at night. The idea that you won't eat is terrible. The idea that your kids won't is heartbreaking. The idea that you might end up on the streets or looking for a shelter to live in is terrible. Taking your children to a shelter is heartbreaking. And so I'm not sounding the alarm that we're headed for a depression in this country. What I'm saying is we as Americans have to look at what we need to do to get this country back to where it needs to go. You've got fuel prices. Increasing again, not just gas, because oil prices are going up. OPEC, this is the part that drives me crazy. A few years ago, whether you like the previous administration or you don't, there are certain acknowledgments you have to make. We were in this country energy independent. There is a reason why for the four years of that administration, and you want to blame it on COVID, go look at the years before COVID when the economy was skyrocketing, when we were really rolling as a country then as well. For four years of that administration, gasoline was under three bucks a gallon for the entire four years. There's a reason why. Now... In fairness to the environmentalists out there, they will tell you that the trade-off was we were putting the nation in a very dangerous place and the world in a dangerous place because we weren't addressing climate change and we were giving free reign to the oil and gas companies. That's the other side of this argument. And I'm acknowledging that argument. I'm not agreeing with it, but I'm acknowledging it. But you can't disallow, you can't dismiss that that fact is true. For the four years of that administration, gasoline was under $3 a gallon. We have seen a constant uptick in the price of fuel from the week this president took office. And of, it, of course, it has to do a lot with his policies. Couldn't account for what was going to happen with Russia. All that's true. But long before Russia and Ukraine was a thing, we saw gas prices increasing and increasing and increasing. We are not able to be energy independent right now. We can't do it as a nation. We're not doing it as a nation. The policies of this administration won't allow for that to happen. And so OPEC and those other nations control the price of oil. So when they come out and say, you know what? We need to bolster oil. So what we are going to do is we are going to decrease production. So it drives up the price per barrel, and of course, that's going to drive up fuel prices. That's happening as we speak. That's happened. That's why gas prices are going up. But the price of coal has also gone up. Heating your home is going to become dramatically more expensive this winter. Natural gas, way up in price. 
Those are the things that when I talk about this, when the when I, I get argued with by the partisan people who are angry at me because I'm partisan and they're just as partisan as I am, they're the opposite side of the same coin, are not listening. This is about policy for all Americans. I don't want to see this president fail because I don't want to see America fail. But these, this is the direction we're heading. And now this job report shows a cooling off of the job market. Then what? Not only are people not making enough money as it is, what happens if they either lose a job, have hours decreased, or lose their side hustle that's keeping their heads above water? That's the concern. Coming up in a moment, um, how would candidates fix Arizona's housing crisis? We're going to talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, world-renowned Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson is heading to Arizona Financial Theater March 9th for his Cosmic Collusion Tour. Tickets go on sale Friday at 10 a.m., but you might be able to win a pair if you head over to the contest page at KTAR.com. Uh, Arizona has an affordable housing crisis, and there were a couple of legislators and candidates who addressed the issue and how they might help solve that issue. Um, we had gubernatorial candidate on Carrie Lake this morning, and uh, we asked her, I asked her about the housing crisis and what the governor's office and the legislature can or should do to address this problem. Here's a little bit of what she said. We, we want to make sure that people have the ability to live the American dream. And I know that right now, because the economy is hard to even save up for a down payment and a lot of investors are coming in and, and buying up homes and it's a good investment let's face it you know if you're going to be investing where do you want to invest the stock market or real estate so we've got and then we also have people moving in because we're an attractive state they're leaving and fleeing these blue states with terrible policies so that's you know the issue there of what we need to do to address it and then what here's what she said she would do if she were governor when I get into office, we want to make it easier to build homes. We want to get people to where uh, the home builders can get the shovel in the ground quicker. And we're going to be pushing some policy to do that. Getting rid of some of the red tape, pushing municipalities to speed up the permitting process so we can get more supply. It's really at the end of the day a supply and demand issue. We have a big demand for housing and real estate here, and we don't have the supply. So we want to push that supply and make it go a little faster so we can get the houses built. And that's one of the issues that unless you come from the construction world, um, you don't understand. And she does. She does have a grip on this, and I think, uh, and that is that it is difficult because I understand, and this is uh, to be totally fair, I understand that municipalities, the cities that have been charged with making sure growth is managed and buildings are built properly, they have their set of rules in place and inspectors to go out in the field to make sure those rules are followed. And when you go through plan review with cities, they make sure that your plans, even though it's drawn up by architects and engineers, MP&E, mechanical, plumbing, and electrical. They make sure, and fire, the fire code is a big one, that if you're going to do a multifamily building, that the fire codes are met, that the alarm codes are met, that you're flowing tamper switches so that there's sprinklers, and all of these things have to be met. But there are places where the county regulation may conflict with the city regulation, and you might be good with one but not good with the other, and you get a set of plans, and they go in for review, and it takes a little while, then you get your plans back, and you take them from one to the other, whether it's county to city or city to county. 
county. And then the other organization looks at it and they flag it and they say, no, that doesn't meet our code requirements. And now you're back to the drawing board. And, and what if you make a change, does it conflict with the other jurisdiction? Those are problems of the past that happened. And I know that cities have worked very hard to try to streamline those things. There is a way to expedite without lawyers getting involved. Zoning is a big one that where you can get projects drawn, funded, because there's investors out there that understand that there is money to be made during this housing crisis. That if you are someone that's got some money, that you can be part of an investment group that builds a condominium complex or a multifamily dwelling complex, duplexes or apartments or whatever to help solve this problem, and you can make some good money doing it. The problem is you're investing money now, and they don't start building for five, six years down the road sometimes because projects take an extended period of time. And to streamline that process is a big part of this. The other for me is workforce. I've been an advocate for a federal guest worker program because it isn't, and this uh, is not my words, it's Nancy Pelosi. It's not just about picking crops. There is a qualified workforce out there that will work hard, that would come here, that would love an opportunity to do jobs Americans are not doing. And if they're willing to work, it helps our economy, it helps their economy, and we're doing doing it the right way. It's something we should look at. I've used this statistic so many times, and again, fact check me. Don't always believe what I say or disbelieve what I say. Do your homework. In 06, 07, in that time frame when we were really rocking in Arizona, we were building well over 60,000 homes per year in Arizona. 60,000. Now, we're not even half of that, I don't think. And if we are, it's barely half of that. And it certainly isn't because there's not the demand. It's because we don't have the labor force. Talk to somebody you know in construction, whether it is a big construction company that does commercial work or it is a home builder that does custom homes or even if it's a company like, you know, like Taylor Morrison that builds you know, neighborhoods. Go look at some of those neighborhoods and, and ask them, what's the number one issue? It's supply chain right now. That one you can't cure right away, but the other is having the labor force to build the projects, and we do have to address this, and it's got to be multifaceted, and a lot of it is zoning, and it's not in my backyard thing, and um, Carrie Lake addressed that saying, you know, HUD coming in here and building low-income housing in neighborhoods. I understand. Listen, the biggest investment most people make, and, and, and I'm – you've heard me talk about homelessness. Uh, this is not a slam on homeless people at all. But you know that when people buy a home, that investment is something that they plan on living on in their later years. When you're young, you buy a home, you make your mortgage payments, you pay for your home, and over time when it's paid for, you have an investment that's worth a lot of money. That is the American dream. The biggest, most expensive purchase most people ever make in their entire lives is the purchase of a home. And to have something come in to a neighborhood that drives down property value, drives down your future. So I don't blame people for saying, I don't want this project specifically or that project specifically. I don't want HUD coming in here. And I understand all of that. I do think local control beats federal control any day. Incentivizing development and growth, making sure it's done the right way, and having the labor force to do it. It is a combination that's attainable. It's something we can do. And I hope we do. We, I hope that we do.
I had this conversation just a minute ago or about an hour ago, and I want to kind of update it a little bit. We were talking about the city of Philadelphia and certain neighborhoods where people feel abandoned by public safety, by the police and by prosecutions where it seems like drugs and crime have overridden their neighborhoods. And they're saying we're not taking anymore. They're taking to the streets and they're taking their neighborhoods back. I want to talk about this. Is this a good idea? And if not, how do we stop it from coming here? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, it's very simple to do on any device that you have, and you'll never miss a minute of the show again. It's brought to you this week by my friend Carol Royce, Carol Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home and get guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Mentioned earlier that neighborhoods in Philadelphia feel as if they've been abandoned by public safety, and they feel like they, in order to get their neighborhoods back from the crime and the drugs, they have to take the law into their own hands. They are going to take their neighborhoods back. And I don't blame people. I will even go further. I will tell you I admire someone that stands up and says you are not going to do that here. Um, I've been in that situation in a small way, stopping some shoplifters once, just a couple of punk idiots. But um, – it was kind of a it was it was a visceral reaction that I was in this store that I go into every single day. I don't need more, but I used to go in there every day, sometimes twice a day. Everybody that worked on every shift knew me, knew my kids because we were in this store so often. It happened to be a Circle K, but it was like a family like a grocery store, like a little, you know, a family store corner store, a bodega or bodega as the first lady would say. Um and These two kids just brazenly walked into a store full of people and grabbed – and I say kids. They were kids to me, but they were adults. They were in their 20s. Grabbed as much liquor as both arms could carry and were just going to brazenly walk out of the store as if nobody was going to stop them. And I don't know really what made me do it, but I stopped them. And I ended up fighting two guys in the parking lot until the cops got there. I never felt in danger. Um, You know, I'm not – you know, I'm not – Chuck Norris, but I mean, I didn't feel threatened by these two. And it was just a reaction I had that you're not going to do this in front of me in my neighborhood. You're not doing this anymore. We as neighbors are not going to take this. And I understand that feeling. But it is dangerous. I was warned by the judge at the trial for the one guy uh, who was convicted of aggravated assault and shoplifting. and I was warned by the judge that, hey, though, although you had every right to do this, I wouldn't recommend it because people get hurt. And none of us want to see vigilantism. I, I don't want to see the Guardian Angels, although it was an organization that was so well respected in New York, if you remember them. Um, I don't want to see the Guardian Angels on the streets of Phoenix. We all should take care of each other, and we should be willing to reach out. And call 911 and then be witnesses and do what's necessary and not be afraid. We should be able to do all of those things. But do we want neighborhoods where that's going on? And I don't. I I don't want to live in a world. I'll tell you one more story and then I want to get to a different angle on this. Um, I've told this story before. I have a a friend. He was my first friend at Phoenix PD years ago and uh, asked me if I ever wanted to do a ride along. And I did. And he was a sergeant of the uh, vice squad. They had two vice squads at the time. So one of the vice squads and they were doing an operation in the sunny slope area of phoenix now there are a lot of really good people and it's a pretty area but it's also has some low income areas and some crime that goes on in parts of sunny slope 
So they were doing a prostitution sting in the area where they had undercover officers posing as Johns and picking up streetwalkers. And uh, um, I was amazed, A, at what great actors these cops are. Never would have guessed any of these people were police officers in a million years. But about an hour and 20 minutes into this operation, multiple arrests had been made in the Sunny Slope neighborhood, and, and prostitutes were taken off the street. And word got out in that neighborhood that the police were in there doing an active um, uh, investigation or an active uh, a job. They were in there doing a, 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 some kind of a – what would you call it? I guess a sting operation. So about an hour and a half into this, I and I obviously was never a part of any of the arrests we were observing, and we drove through the Sunny Slope neighborhood about an hour and a half or two hours later. And when we drove through the neighborhood, it was a completely different place. The drug dealers were gone. The prostitutes were gone. Neighbors were outside sitting on lawn chairs. Kids were playing ball in the street. It looked like every middle-class neighborhood, working-class neighborhood you've ever been in. Kids on their bikes. It was a dream. And all it took in that instance for only a few hours was for the police to have a presence there to push down the crime. And the good people that were captive in their homes were able to come out of their homes. And how helpless that must feel that when you work your tail off, when you're somebody that does what you're supposed to do, you're a law-abiding citizen, to see the streets of your neighborhood overrun because there's not enough cops on the street. That's where our problems lie. So I want you to hear a little bit of this. Uh, this is from KGO in San Francisco. It's about a surveillance program in San Francisco, a pilot program they're trying. This measure will bring big changes for all of us. Police will now be able to conduct live surveillance in various scenarios ranging from street corners to protests. And they're going to be able to do this with the use of private cameras. How will they get access to these cameras? The measure would create a one-year pilot program to allow police to monitor private video feeds with the owner's consent within a 24-hour period in three types of situations. During a life-threatening emergency, to redeploy officers during a mass event, and during criminal investigations. So again, Big Brother, the scare here is, of course, if they have access to your cameras, like I have a Ring doorbell, and I think it's one of the greatest inventions ever, whether it's Ring or whatever company that makes them, but mine happens to be a Ring doorbell. And I can talk to people at my front door, I can see people at my front door, even when I'm not home, I can do it from my cell phone. It records when someone walks in front of the camera, if somebody comes to my door, you're on camera. And it is a great resource if somebody ever is in front of your house or does something that they shouldn't be doing. I would be willing... Because of my trust of Phoenix PD, I would be willing to be a part of a program where they could use, they could access my camera in a situation where they're looking for a car that drives by or a suspect in the area. The question, though, is when they say there's only certain times or areas where they're allowed to access this, how do you, what prevents them from accessing it another time? What what prevents them from going outside of those uh, rules and doing it whenever they want to? We all understand that what when people were supportive of the Patriot Act and what happened here, um, and then a lot of people said, well, what it turned into is not what it, what it was meant for, and it was a huge overreach by the federal government. So I understand both sides of that. 
But would you, and that's a question, I guess, for all of us to personally wrestle with, that if you were approached by the police department locally in your in your city, your town, or in, in the sheriff's office in an unincorporated area, would you be a part of a program that said when one of these scenarios happens, would you allow them to access your camera to look for suspects, to look for evidence, to look for whatever? Um, and I wonder if this is going to be the, the wave of the future, and we'll see. But people are fed up, and they want public safety active. They want them safe, but they want them active, and they want criminals to know that we are going to we're going to get you out of our neighborhoods. You're not going to get us out of ours. We will stand up, and it's happening in Philadelphia where they're taking the law under their own hands. Don't know that it's a good idea, but we do know that it's happening. Uh, coming up in a moment. Um, there has been a rise in the number of people that are on the terror watch list that have entered this country illegally. How much? What is that number? We'll give you the numbers here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. There is a, a story. The White House is discussing a push around immigration after the midterms. Um, and so this story talks about as a, a plot uh, as they plot post midterm legislative agenda. The president uh, and the White House officials have been considering whether changes to the country's immigration system should be one of his major policy pushes, according to the White House sources. Um, this is a mixed bag. We've been having this conversation. I just had a conversation with someone, uh, a tweet back and forth with someone who called me out saying that it's not true, according to the Cato Institute, that most of the, this, the drugs are coming through the ports of entry. It's not through these other areas. And um, my question in all of that was, let's say that's true. I don't believe it because of the people that I talk to. I will – no offense to the Cato Institute. I will take the story of the people I talk about that are boots on the ground over anything else anytime. But let's say that somewhere in the middle is true. Maybe there's not as much coming through the way I say, and there's more of it coming through the way he says. In the end, how is it getting through our ports of entry? It's getting through because we do not have enough people enforcing laws at the border because we have so many people that are processing asylum seekers that have no business asking for asylum at the border. That's where the problem lies. And so um, that's the issue here. The White House talking about immigration reform. Um, this is the fight you're going to get. If the White House says we need to push for comprehensive immigration reform, the Republicans are going to say not without border security measures, not without enforcement, not without barriers where it's prudent, not without more border agents, not without more technology, not without assurances that we are going to slow, dramatically slow the traffic coming into this country illegally. We're not signing on for it. And then the political battle will be begin. One will be about concerns about human life. The other is going to be being a block to what could be uh, what is necessary for immigrants. And that's going to be the same old story we've done before. Um, it happened during the Bush administration. It happened during the Obama administration. It happened during the Reagan administration going back that far. Uh, and if you go back, this is what's so fascinating about how this has flip-flopped from party to party. You can go back and listen to a State of the Union address by Bill Clinton where Bill Clinton demanded more money from the Congress so that they could more they could expedite the deportation of people in this country illegally. The border hawks 25 years ago used to be the Democrats. 
And the narrative was it was the Republicans that wanted people to cross the border illegally because they wanted the cheap labor. Again, if you if you believe that's not true, go fact check me on that. So this has been an issue for a very long time. And it is both. You know, I know people that are legal immigrants to this country. I know people. I know dreamers. I, the dreamer situation breaks my heart. You know, young people that were raised as Americans, young people that were probably raised to love this country because their parents brought them here from a desperate situation and their lifesaver, their life preserver was the United States. And now these adults are being told you are not really an American and we don't know what we're going to do with you yet. I think that's heartbreaking. I'm being 100 percent honest. I think it's heartbreaking for those people. But it is also an indicator. It is a symptom of this broken system that's been broken for decades. And what is happening at the border now with this mass influx of people coming here and we don't know who or what they are is creating that next generation of dreamer. So if the White House is going to do something like this, the White House has to consider that this is really not a good idea unless you know who's coming. Um, there has been a 600% increase, 25,627 in the fiscal year of 2022 of people crossing for potential national – they're on the list being a potential national security risk. This is a real problem in America, and it's a problem for everybody involved, and we should be working on this solution together. It is not a one-size-fits-all. It is not a one-side-of-the-issue-only solution. Will we get a solution? Are we going to get more politics? Well, if you had to bet, what would you bet on? I know what I'd bet on. I'd bet on more politics every step of the way. What I'm going to do just after 11 o'clock is uh, discuss what would happen if the Republicans were to take over the House and or the Senate. Practically, what would that look like? Would it just be a stalemate? Because that is a very, very good question. So we'll take up that. And what seats are most likely to flip in the Senate? Yes, Arizona is still on that list. We'll talk about it. 